Welcome to episode four of Mundane to Miss with your lovely host, moi, Natalie Noir. Make sure to check out my blog at www.mundanetomiss.blogspot.com. I hope that that's how you found me. Today we're going to be talking about consent violators and scene names and privacy within the kink community. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. For those of you who are a little unfamiliar with consent, it's a very big part of the BDSM scene. Basically, you're giving permission for certain acts or specific types of relationship structures to someone else. Think of it like the terms and agreements when you're signing up or purchasing like an expensive item. This is the fine print. It can be verbal. It can be written. It can be for one time. It can be for ongoing play. It just really depends on what you guys negotiate. I mentioned in another podcast about negotiating scenes, and this falls within that. You would need to also give consent for certain activities and things to take place. I like people to understand that this is a very small word, but it means so much. It is the most dangerous and most liberating concept, I believe, within BDSM. You should not give consent while you're inebriated, while you're under any influence, while someone's pressuring you, while you're under duress, while you're stressed, while you're upset. None of those things should be taking place while you are giving consent or permission for someone to do something to you. I think that consent's a very hot button issue within BDSM and it can be for even the smallest things like hugs and things like that. I have friends who I have known a long time in the scene and I still always ask them before I hug them or give them a handshake if it's okay because different people react different ways to having them their bodies touched or being approached. I think there's also a really tricky subset um, for consensual non-consent with within consent. That sounds a little confusing. It kind of sounds like an oxymoron. But essentially, it's consented play with the illusion that consent has been removed. Um, this is usually seen in total power exchange relationships or 24-7 dynamics. And it's basically someone saying, I give you consent to do whatever you like as long as you respect my boundaries. We won't constantly go over those boundaries and I won't constantly be reminded of those boundaries. I'm going to assume that you have them in your mind and that you will respect them and I will not stop you from doing anything as long as it doesn't go past my hard limits. And that's a really big thing. It's, it's, it's a really debated and controversial concept. Personally, I love consensual non-consent. Um, I think it is a very hot concept, but it also, again, can be very dangerous if not done right and if given to the wrong person at the wrong time. So you have to be careful on who you play with and how much power you do give them because for you, you may think, okay, well, they're not going to do this or that, or it might even be something you didn't even think of. And then something happens and you think, I wish that I would have said not to do this. This one thing really sets me off. So consensual non-consent is pretty deep. It's not for beginners. You should definitely 
talk about it a shit ton before you decide to give that sort of power to somebody. So what does consent mean in general? Um, basically, like I said, it's you giving permission for someone or someones to do certain things to you or to have a specific relationship structure. But legally, no matter what, no always means no. Stop always means stop. Um, if you're playing with someone and you are unsure if they really mean stop or they really mean no, always err on the side of caution. Stop. <laughs> if they say no, stop. If they say stop, stop. If they tell you immediately after, no, no, I didn't mean that. Keep going. But I find a lot of times with people who are familiar with BDSM play, who have been doing it for a while, they very rarely yell stop. They'll yell help me. They'll yell it's too much. <laughs> um, they'll say all kinds of things, but I don't usually hear people beg for people to stop unless they really do want them to stop. So, um, if you, if you do play with the word no, I have seen people play with the word no, where it's kind of hot to keep saying no, no, but, um, it's a joke that no means yes, but in reality, no means no. But if during your play, you have decided that you will not respond to the word no, then I suggest you find a safe word to take its place. Um, there is literally a section in the U.S. legal system that would cover BDSM and any consensual sexual activity. Um, and I will add that link to this post so that people can look at it and read about it because there have been cases where people have sort of, you know, said, I gave consent to this, but not to this. And it's, it's a slippery slope and it's, it's a gray area that not a lot of people can successfully, um, figure out without help. So I will put that link there. If anyone wants to know legally how they're protected, even if they give consent for things and then they later on feel violated. Um, I think consent violators will always ignore safe words and they will always go beyond preset limits and sometimes they'll feign misunderstanding during negotiation or they just don't care about your rights versus what they want. Um, these are people that you need to watch out for. With consent comes violators. It's just a hand-in-hand -hand sort of operation, unfortunately. In a perfect world, we would have people who gave consent and we would have people who respected that. But that's not the way it is, and I don't think that's the way it'll ever be, unfortunately. I think that most consent violations fall within two categories. It's those people you know very well and those you know very little about. I think that they are on opposite end of the spectrums where if it's someone you know very well, they feel very overly comfortable with you. And so they might not, they might not be as thorough as they should be um, with negotiation and with keeping things in mind because they think, oh, I know this person. I know what they like and I've played with them before. So it's more of a comfortable situation where they're not paying attention close enough and they just assume that you trust them. Then I think there are those who you don't know very well and it might be your first time playing with them. And um, they might not know what triggers you have, like I mentioned earlier. And a trigger, I keep mentioning, I want to make sure everyone understands what I mean. A trigger is a situation, a word, an act, any kind of play that takes you to a dark place that you do not want to go. For me, it's canes.
I fucking hate canes. If anyone uses a can on me, it will trigger me to be a fucking bitch. I will go into a rage. Um, I had a very bad experience with canes. It's just something I don't like. Um, there's all kinds of triggers. Sometimes it can be something as simple as pulling someone's hair or as snapping their bra or lifting them off the ground. There are all kinds of triggers. And when you play with someone you don't know very well, they aren't going to know what your triggers are. And you might not be able to tell them all your triggers. You might not even know all of your triggers. Um, so that sort of can lend itself to be feeling violated a little bit. Um, and this is why a very, very detailed negotiation should come before any sort of play. And if you have had experiences with triggers in the past, I always recommend writing them down and keeping them with you um, in your toy bag so that, or in your phone or whatever works for you, just so that you know in the future you don't want to take yourself to this place. And also you don't want someone else to feel, um, you know, personally responsible for taking you to a place that's not, that's not happy and that's not something that you were trying to experience during your BDSM play with, play with them. And there are people who get off on, on being triggered. I, I know lots of folks who use that and I use it for humiliation play with a lot of people. I know things that they're very sensitive about and I will just sort of poke and prod that issue to break them down. But again, that's been negotiated, something that we've discussed and that they would be comfortable with them. Um, with me doing that to them. Um, so outside of those two people, there are just asshats who will not give a fuck about your boundaries or your consent. Um, locally, this seems to be a really big problem. Um, it's a common similarity that the consent violators in this area just so happen to be the ones with the biggest toy bags and the best places to play and access to the best venues or they provide the best venues. They know all the cool people um, and they're just extremely well known themselves. And I've seen it happen time and again. They will violate consent because they can and that's that's sad. That's really just the bottom line of it. The community sort of gives them this power, I believe, by putting them on a pedestal and making them feel like they can do no wrong. Sorry, no one is above consent, period. That's just how I feel. I don't care if you have the biggest house. I don't care if you have the most expensive toys. I don't care if you know all the best people, quote unquote, in BDSM. You have no right to violate someone else's consent. I heard a great quote from a famous president, I believe, and he said, your rights end where another person's begin. And I take that pretty seriously within and outside of BDSM. I think that you should always be respectful of other people's boundaries and rights and personal space. Um, even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't understand it, it's not really for you to understand. It's just for you to be respectful. We're all here. We all have to share this lovely place called earth. Um, I don't see why it needs to be a struggle between people to do so. Um, 
So it doesn't matter how popular somebody is. It doesn't matter how long someone has been in the scene. It doesn't matter if you will be banned from every single party. If someone violates your consent or violates the consent of someone you know, you need to tell someone who can help you. Find a dungeon master at the club. Find the club owner. Go to the party hostess or someone who's in charge. And if you feel like you can't be the person to go to those people. Find someone you trust who can speak for you. Do not be afraid to speak out because chances are if your consent was violated by this person, this isn't their first or last time violating someone's consent. If you don't say anything, someone else might be in a similar or worse position than you. In my opinion, I think consent violation is a rampant epidemic within the scene. It needs to be openly discussed. It needs to be dealt with in a rehabilitative manner when we're able to do so. A lot of times it turns into a witch hunt. Um, I see people who get fingered as being consent violators and then everyone jumps on a bandwagon of going, yeah, I knew they were a consent violator. This is what, you know, this led me to believe this two years ago, but I never said anything. Or, oh, I was violated by them five years ago, and I just kept my mouth shut. And it's it's sad because a lot of it is just fear. It's just fear of not wanting to be the person to call someone out. And it's sort of in the same vein of being raped. And I know that's a very big word, but I think consent violation is a very big word too. I think they're both very similar issues. They're essentially taking someone and using them against um, their will. It's, it's basically taking someone and doing something they did not ask for. So if you, if you know someone who's been violated, if you feel violated and you don't know anyone to talk to, you don't have anyone you're seeing, I am always open um, to listen to and try and help to the best of my ability. It doesn't matter if you are 30 miles away or if you are 3,000 miles away, I will do my best to help you because I take that very seriously. And I think everyone needs to understand that it's a real thing and it happens and, um, we need to figure out how to solve the problem and not just sort of sweep it under the rug. Um, just witch hunting after the violators and then saying you can't do this and you can't do that and et cetera, and not really teaching them about how to be better play partners and how not to make the same mistakes is also a big problem. So again, just keep an eye out for people who you think aren't respecting the things you've talked about. And remember, you can always safe word pretty much everywhere. You can yell out safe word or red at any dungeon or party and people will know what that means and they will come over to help and assist you. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just about taking care of yourself and it's about making sure your community is safe because if you don't point out a consent violator, he's going to come to another party or he's going to run another event and somebody else who might not be as strong as you might get hurt. So just keep that in your, in your mind when you're thinking about consent violations.
Okay, so now that we've gotten through the really heavy shit of consent violators and how to seek and destroy them, let's move on to scene names and privacy within the scene. Um, a lot of people sort of don't understand about scene names, um, but I think they, they're pretty self-explanatory. They're names that are used within the BDSM community for privacy, for nominality, for fun, for experimentation, and pretty much every reason in between. At first, I didn't really believe in scene names, and I thought they were just for people with a flair for dramatics. When you hear Mistress Roxy Rules or um, Mind Your Manor, you know, it's all kinds of crazy, you know, Lord Dommy Dom and all kinds of crazy names. Um, so um, what happened to me was... Imagine my surprise when after I had gone to a dungeon, um, this is when I was first starting out many years ago, and an especially creepy voyager from the dungeon I had attended the previous weekend saw me grocery shopping with a vanilla friend of mine. Oh, much to my horror, it was nearly impossible to ignore him with him shouting my name from across aisle seven over and over. And how do you explain to a person you know that you're with that someone else knows your name and they're making reference to seeing you over and over again how do you say it like I don't know this person and they're not my friend um it's kind of hard so when you do have a C name it's a lot harder to yell mistress ball breaker when you're at the grocery store most people will leave you alone unless they know um unless they know your name and after that, I sort of decided that I should probably have a scene name because I didn't want people who were at the dungeon to easily be able to call me out and sort of force me into a situation where I might have to acknowledge them because otherwise I looked kind of crazy. <laughs> so, um, and I think scene names are just a way of expressing yourself. It can be a branding technique. It can be a way to increase excitement. It can just be a more evocative name. It's also empowering to sort of choose um, a new name or something that you think is more freeing to your identity that you want to wear for BDSM play. I sort of think of it like a pen name or an alter ego or a pet name, a nickname or a stage name. I sort of think of C names in that same sense. So if you're thinking about getting a scene name, the first question to ask yourself is, what do you want out of a scene name? Um, I'm on my third scene name personally. Um, I've kept them for quite a while, but each time I need to ask myself, what did I want out of my scene name? Did I want something sexual? Did I want something that was based on fantasy? Did I want something that was related to my BDSM role? Something that was exotic or something realistic? Maybe a prefix? Um, I think whatever you choose, don't get scared. It's not forever. You can change your name at will. People change their name all the time. Um, just make sure that you're prepared to correct people if they call you by your old name. That's really the only issue I've ever seen running into changing scene names frequently is to remind people, oh, no, this is my new scene name. And it can be, this is my scene name this week or just tonight. I want to be called this. There's no... There's no reason why you can't change your name as much as you want. Sort of an, an added layer of protection is to have um, a separate 
sort of way to contact you. This is, this is again, has to do with the privacy beyond just name names. So if you have like a separate email address, separate Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, any sort of social media accounts for your kinky lifestyle, especially if you are not out and you do not want to be out, um, it is best to come up with those sort of things so that you can keep in contact with people if you're not on sites and they do have a way to get a hold of you and I always tell people who want to text or talk to people but they don't want to give out their number what they want to know what can they do um google just get a google number pretty much everyone I know has a google number I have a google number you can use skype to make calls and text as well if that's if that's more comfortable for you um and that's, that's really what it comes down to is what level of privacy do you want and what are you willing to do to get it? There are a lot of different reasons why people need to have privacy in the scene. And it can be because of their jobs, especially here. I work in a very government-oriented area. A lot of people work for the government. And I'm talking not just contractors, but FBI and CIA and NSA. And there are lots of people who work for very various um, departments here who would, it would ruin their careers if they were outed. So they need to have some privacy. And it's generally respected here that you don't out someone um, if you can help it. I've seen it happen by accident a couple times, but it's never been a purposeful thing. There's also things where people don't want their children to know about their activities for good reason. So they, them and their partner, sort of keep their their things private. Um, it can be because your family might find out. It can be because you are a prominent member in your community. It can be because you just are a private person. Um, I know people who have been playing much, much longer than I have, and they've never stepped foot into a dungeon. They just don't want to. They don't want to be exposed like that, but they're fine posting things online and in their blog and on Twitter, etc. And that's because that's the level of privacy that they're comfortable with. So I try not to turn my nose up at people who might not be as out as I am. Even I am not fully out to the extent that I would like to be out. Um, in a perfect world for me, I would my whole family would know and I wouldn't really give a fuck. And honestly, if my mom ever came to me and asked me if I was into it, I wouldn't lie to her, but I'm not going to volunteer that information. So um, there's, there's different reasons for being privacy, but always try to respect someone's privacy. Um, you would want your privacy respected if it was something else, possibly not BDSM, but some other thing that you thought was private to you. You might not want to share that with someone. And some people I know are against seeing names and being private like this, but I pretty much believe that if you strive to be your genuine self and you project your own true beliefs and expressions, it's no different than writing an anonymous online sex blog or a podcast. <laughs> so um, I see names and things. I don't, I think they get a bad rep and I don't think it's really fair because not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to be as open as they might want to be with their BDSM and um, sort of scene life activities. And I don't think it should be held against them. So now let's get to our kinky question of the day. And we'll go ahead and head over to Jean for that. Hi guys, this question is from Cass in Texas. I am new to BDSM and I'm trying to get involved in the nearest community, however it is quite far. 
To improve my current scenes with my submissive, I'd like to gain an understanding of basic warm-up techniques. We already used some mental warm-up to set the scene, but I'm interested in some actual physical steps in warm-up prior to thuddy or stingy impact play. Please explain what you can along with a few examples of how you would use physical techniques. Thanks, Gene. Okay, um, let's get right to it, Cass. I'm really glad to hear that you're getting involved in your local community as much as you can. Um, if you can't drive to them, online is a pretty good substitute. There are many locals that I've talked to online for quite some time, but I've never actually met in person. So don't don't think that online isn't a viable option for meeting people. You asked about warm-up techniques before play, and when I first started in the scene, I never understood why warming up was really important. I just wanted to jump in and play hard and play until my bottom was completely spent. And now I know that this is a terrible idea unless you want to have a very quick and dirty scene. I've personally never been one for foreplay, and for me, I sort of saw warming up as the same purpose. So I've I've learned better in my years that warming up is very important. Um, it's it really gets the scene going for me. I think it's a great way um, to get my favorite friends and endorphins joined to the party. Um, this will help your partner increase their tolerance for any pain that you're going to be giving out to them, and it'll help them do that for longer periods. Endorphins in our bodies are released in stages, so after about 10 minutes of warm-up, your partner is ready for light flogging or light paddling. And if you increase this intensity every five minutes thereafter with a sudden peak of about 10 to 20 seconds of very intense stimulation just beyond their pain threshold, it will trigger the body to release another round of endorphins and it will keep doing that. Um, and then you'll, you'll increase the time between it. You'll go from five minutes to 10 minutes. For the actual things that you can do during warm-up. They really depend on what you're trying to achieve. You mentioned thuddy and stingy, um, and I'm very into thuddy and impact play. So when I do impact or rough body play, I start by running my hands over my partner's body, um, and I sort of dig my fingers into the muscles in their chest and their back, and that's sort of just to get their muscles loosened up a bit. And then I tweak their nipples because I love tweaking nipples, and I will lightly tug on their hair. And again, I massage the areas I plan on using. Um, I sometimes do all of this while they're blindfolded. That way they are forced to focus only on my touch. And then I start to lightly spank them and run my nails across their bottoms. If my partner becomes aroused during this warm-up, I think that actually helps them slip into a better place later on for any sort of pain I will be doling out to them. The main focus of warming up is to just get the blood flowing so that you can you can increase the pain tolerance and decrease the chance of bruising in your partner. And any variation of the play you'll be doing, um, any sort of light variation of it, and then working up to the intensity that you want to or go a little bit beyond that should pretty much get the endorphins going and should get them ready for, for play. So that's, that's my advice on how to warm up. And um, there's lots of stuff online. I'll put some links to warming up and hope that you will be able to use that. So happy spankings. So that's our episode for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Remember to check me out at my blog. It's www.mundane2miss.blogspot.com. Also, you can find me on All Experts and get your question answered like Cass. It might not be good, 
answered, but I'll do the best that I can. So next week, if you guys come back and listen, I hope you will join me. We will talk about poly, monopoly, and all the things in between, and also how to successfully navigate the scene when you're not any of those things. I think it'll be a good episode, and I can't wait for you guys to join me. Have a good week, guys. Happy hump day. From Monday into Mysteries.